0: Welcome to Hello Uglies, a Dragula recap show special edition, It's a very special interview with Hollow Eve. My name is Joe Batanz and I am joined, as always, by one non-binary fat person with a penchant for skinny people from the Bloody <laughs> Podcast Network. Please say, hello, uglies, to Lori Camp. Hello, Lori. Shut up! <laughs> What a very special shut up, by the way, Lori. Are you? Are you? How nervous are you on a scale of one to ten now, Lori?
1: Um, I mean, I've been scratching probably the the dry part of my elbow for the past, ever since we started talking. Well, it, it's so. my it's
0: very it's my pleasure. I'll be able to say this for real this time. Uh, please welcome to the show a non-binary drag socialist with a passion for anarchy. Please say hello, uglies, to Hollow Eve. Hello, Hollow. Hello. Shut up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I haven't watched the reunion at Hollow, but has does Drag tell anyone to shut up?
2: (laughs) I didn't get all the way through it,
1: but you were there.
2: I I, I was there. I I don't remember everything.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Oh, okay. I have a question. How do they do they like? Is it like filmed in sections or do they just is it just all at once and then they go okay we're going to edit it down? Oh, I think you're asking is it live to tape mean, or is you it You mean there?
2: the re- the reunion episode? Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's filmed. Okay. I huh. mean, I'm I'm I I'm we filmed longer than an episode is, so mm-hmm. it's we we filmed more than than, you know, than what you'll see but like Yeah, no, it was all just done at once. We were all
1: Sitting there having a cocktail party, yeah. Oh, okay, so it was that there was alcohol well, in
0: it, okay. okay. Oh, yeah, that's how they're gonna get Priscilla out, Dahlia again. But let me ask you this question, Hollow. When you're when, uh, since leaving, well, you know what, before we get into that, because we have so many questions, I have so many things to talk to you about. <laughs> one of the things that came up on the show was this Dracula world. Is that now I know you, you were part of it at one point, right? You did it.
2: I, I'm back on. I don't know why it keeps closing out. It's Lori.
0: She does that.
1: Oh, I <laughs> am not. I am not touching anything.
0: It's Priscilla Chambers. She's mad that you're talking over her. No, here's my question: Is wait, wait, you were part of Dragula World, correct?
2: No, I oh. was there. Oh, you oh, were just okay. there. I was I was present, but I I did at the time did not choose to um, compete at Dragula World.
0: Okay, so did you did you just submit just like everybody else to be on the show? Absolutely. Okay, and then you were chosen. What was that process like? <laughs>
2: Uh, very rushed and very last minute for me. I was it, it hit me at like one of the busiest times I mm-hmm. had had. I actually was when they released all of the stuff to audition for the show. Um, I was in the middle of a huge build out for a pageant that I was in. Oh, so um, and that I won mm-hmm. and um, uh, it, like I built it an outhouse
0: mm-hmm.
2: and was like constructing. San Francisco pageants are a little bit different, so mm-hmm. this particular one was called Pageant Pageant. And uh, it was teams competing, Mm -hmm. so groups Mm -hmm. of people competing in a pageant together, Mm -hmm. and we had to create a 45-minute art installation and a stage show and answer trivia about the LGBT community correctly. Oh, my gosh.
1: And bake a pie. <laughs> yes, that too. Clearly,
2: um, and no, but it was really, it was really good. But like the preparation going into that, my team was just me and mm-hmm. my um, drag. We'll call her my sister, my child. Mm-hmm. My, I'm her daddy. I'm her brother. I'm her mm-hmm. mom. I'm her sister. All of the above. Um, and we were we were competing together as a team. So, um, we were just, that's what I was focused on. So you had, you know, one month to submit all of this stuff and right out of the gate, I not only have a very busy drag schedule, but I'm also competing in a pageant and working a full-time job. So like, (laughs) you know, trying to audition was a little bit difficult. So, um, you know, I, um, I, I did get a message from, Uh, a friend who had formerly been on one of the casts of Mm -hmm. Dragula and they, they were like, so are are you auditioning? Are you sending your questions? Where are your questions? Mm -hmm. And then like, as soon as the pageant was over, I sat down and like answered all the questions. I'm Mm -hmm. a little bit verbose. So that takes me a while. Um, (laughs) but I, and I, I, I submitted that portion and then I was still in one of the busiest schedules of the of, of of the year I don't know why March is such a busy month but it's always a really busy month for me mm-hmm. and um, by the end of the month which we had to have it in um, by the end of that month um, uh, I was um, uh, I just had a really heavy, heavy show schedule so I cancelled two shows mm-hmm. and took off work and spent a day and a half filming but I also had had a needle accident in my face and part of my face was swollen and i couldn't move one of my lips
0: oh my gosh
2: (laughs) and like like a regular way at the time so um i don't know i thought my audition tape was terrible but also um i had already performed at queen kong okay um so um uh, i was known uh, mm-hmm. to the, the, Boul- the Boulay brothers knew who I was, you know, okay. they knew, you know, a, a bit about my art simply because, you know, um, I had performed at their show and, um, had started developing like some really close relationships with, uh, some of the people who had already been on the show. Now, how well did
0: you know the Boulet brothers before you even, uh, uh, said in the t- like, 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 oh, hi hollow. Or is it like, girl, let me like, what, what was the relationship like?
2: Um, oh, like if I if I came to Queen Kong and I wasn't performing, they would definitely say, hey, hollow. And, uh-huh. like you know, just check in that kind of thing. Uh-huh. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, okay. Like kind of like low key, uh-huh. you know, moment. Usually I would find my way, you know, backstage But most of the time, especially I was um, often staying with Vander. So uh-huh. I would be chilling backstage with Vander and, you know, just casual chatting. So you, um, so you also knew, a oh, lot of time with Abora too.
0: Oh, okay, so you really? knew, okay? You, you knew Vander beforehand. Then was that weird seeing her like walk around doing the production design stuff and all that?
2: Yeah, because we weren't really allowed to be friends.
0: Oh, oh. oh, interesting. So yeah, what are the rules there? With, if, if you're friends with some of the production people, what, you couldn't talk to them, or?
2: I'll, well, I will start here. Vander's the most professional person you're ever going to meet. Mm-hmm. You know, they're yeah. like Vander is like. I am here, I am professional, I am on top of my game, Mm -hmm. I am like always Mm -hmm. at that level. There's not a lot of time, first and foremost, during reality television for everybody to be chatting. Vander was working, Mm -hmm. so there weren't even a lot of moments where there was interaction, you know, Um, just because there was a pretty substantial crew this season. Yeah. Yeah. Um, The size of the crew is, is quite large, so, you know, most of the crew that... I interacted were the ones who were hired specifically to interact with us.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Oh, okay. Now Lori, now, Lori,
0: I know you're very excited. Now, I have a whole ton of questions that I already have written down in front of you. But is there anything you want to say, Lori, before I talk all over you?
1: Um. <clears throat> well, I I just have my my question is regarding your uh, unfortunate death. Did you guys... <laughs> when was that filmed in relation to the 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 act that actual episode? Like, was it filmed after the extermination or? before the extermination i think and then, I'm allowed
2: i think I'm allowed to say this <laughs> okay
1: and then my second part is did you have any say in the actual like did you and uh, like did you say like oh i i could do this right or, or were they basically just like you're going to get out of the car and we're going to we're going to put a bag over your head
2: <laughs> um um uh, the extermination was filmed way later oh, okay. really mhm okay which is interesting. Uh, which was really unfortunate because my outfit had been doused in tuna fish so
1: it <laughs> yeah didn't smell great uh-huh. <laughs> i was wondering <laughs> oh okay all right and then i guess my my uh follow-up to that whole thing is so one of our big not issues but one of our big um i guess complaints or or admonishments would be that um we feel like the ex, the exterminations in the, in the season aren't necessarily lining up with the executions. Mm-hmm. Um. Because, uh, uh, well, for example, like the only one that really lined up was the first one because Violencia didn't get on the plane. Therefore, she was, of course, executed. But after that, it's like, you know, Eva seemed very gung-ho when she was stapling stuff to her body. But then she was executed and you seemed very, you know, it was so, but then you were executed. So do they kind of like let you know that the executions are going to be considered or is it sort of like pretty much known that when you do the execution that this is just a formality and this is just another part of the episode i guess
2: i mean i'm not privy to what the judges have decided or what production is deciding do you know what i mean yeah so like um you know it's not it's not in my scope to say this is the decision they made they're judges they get to decide whatever they want
1: you know, okay.
2: yeah. um, I think that at the end of the day that that should always be remembered. I think, you know, season two, there was that feeling with Erica Clash being able to overcome so many episodes mm-hmm. by, you know, killing the extermination, you know, and I don't know that I felt that that was the same in season three, but it also wasn't like that in season one. So I just think each each season you're going to get a really different set of,
1: you know, That's people true.
2: and uh, challenges and you know, whatnot. And there's going to be a lot of, um, I imagine, I mean, I've judged competition before. Um, a lot of consideration goes into, you know, like a larger scope, you know, you can like someone on this category in this category in this category, but you have to look at like the larger scope of, you know, what a competition is, I imagine, and this is not coming from a knowledge of what the judges made decisions on, mm-hmm. that a lot of Elimination also comes from uh, previous performance. Yeah.
0: Uh, you know, before, I think this person's making a joke. But, but the-
2: that's not an official yeah. anything. That's just my take on what judges do. No, we
0: get You it. know,
2: that's me when I've judged a competition, you know, and when I've been a part of something like that, or, you know, it's, it's the judges can decide whatever they want. That's yeah. the, the, the part is you you bestow power on judges mm-hmm. to make decisions and then they make decision whatever decision they want.
1: You know, yeah, think- and i did like that you said that to yavska i thought that was very sweet and it is true and and i like how what they've said in the in this in this season is that you know drag is art and art is subjective and they're just they're just judging based off the parameters of that challenge but and we'll get into it but i do feel like at a certain point you know if you, if you tie a hand behind your back uh, you know i i not allowing you to do the costume that you wanted to do or the performance you wanted to and then they judge you based off of the performance the costume that you have i felt like that was a little
2: but you know I didn't it's, like it. it's trash right so yeah. like you know there i could have done my outfit it just would not have been shown on television like they, they would have had to bleep me out yeah it's legitimately the law around it so you know for me then the question becomes can I like create something that fits within the aesthetic of the show you know yeah. that I can push forward as trash and you know perhaps with with Dragula you are going to need something to make the whole white look you know muddy or dirty for it to be called trash but it's not something that I could do but I was very single-minded and I'm putting this on the stage because I'm not allowed to. You yeah, and, and that's who I am as an artist. Also, um, what I said to Joska is something I would say to myself all the time. Mm-hmm. I don't actually value competition. It doesn't change what I think about myself. And it doesn't change what I think about my fellow competitors. By the way, I am a huge Dragula season three stan in terms of the cast. I yeah. am a huge oh, supporter of each one of the artists and think they are all absolutely phenomenal, amazing, crazy, and really different artists but also i think that this season is a heavy hitting performer season Mm -hmm. and as you see this cast tour it's going to be amazing to watch uh, a cast that is such a dominating performance force
0: Now, let me me go bigger picture here, because I I feel we went narrow too soon. (laughs) The first question I have, Hollow, is, I I, 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 honestly, and I've said this, I think, in the first episode, I've tried to find an appropriate definition for AFAB, and I feel there's no one better than you to to educate me about, Mm -hmm. because everything I feel seems kind of muddy. So can you define what that means?
2: Yes, um, and this is really important because I feel like there's a lot of misinterpretation happening around this word.
1: Mm-hmm. We do
2: not need to qualify any form of drag with those four letters ever, mm-hmm. ever. Um, it's assigned female at birth, yeah. non-binary. Um uh non-binary uh trans people who, you know, were assigned female at birth and trans men who were assigned female at birth. This is not their identity. Mm-hmm. They are not afab. Mm-hmm. You know, AFAB is not a word used for cis women at mm-hmm. all. It is not a term for cis women, mm-hmm. it is a term for people who are in the trans. Spectrum. Okay. So it is okay. a way for them to explain their identities in a time where we're still made to explain identities. There should be no reference to AFAB, bio, or any of those things as a qualifier on any form of drag. You know, I'm a little bit absurd in my drag title because mm-hmm. what I do is deconstruct gender and monarchy mm-hmm. and, you know, make my art about destruction through my title of a post binary drag socialist with a bonjour for anarchy. Mm-hmm. But you are, if you're a drag queen, you're a drag queen. If you're a drag king, you're a drag king. Mm-hmm. If you're a drag performance artist, you're a drag performance artist. As my good dear friend Queen in San Francisco says, um, she's a nightlife entertainer. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's like everybody's going to use a different thing. But what we don't have to do is qualify things by that, mm-hmm. you know, that we're at a time when people are using descriptions and, and whatnot to unpack the idea that your body, you know, and your your body and your body parts are associated with your gender. Mm -hmm. You know, we're not there yet. We have not unpacked binary gender roles or unpacked any of this. So this is the language that, you know, people um, who are on, who are trans use to refer to, you know, the way that they were, you know, raised and basically the way that they were, um, you know, uh, assigned a gender at birth versus being able to embody the gender that they are. Mm-hmm. You know, and they were that gender from, you know, their youth. I mean, I, I have so many stories I could tell you about, you know, me as a uh, as a young child, like, you know, always needing to be the dad, always needing mm-hmm. to, you know, um, be on the other side of, of 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 what it was that I was assigned, and then my family also would make me wear pink all the time, and it drove me insane until mm-hmm. one day I ripped all the wallpaper off my wall. I'm oh, <laughs> like said I'm never going to touch pink again in my life Um, uh, because it just felt like this heavy weight you know um, of like enforcement of what I had to be you know so I I think that that's something you know that's hard because as you start a dialogue Dragula can be diverse in the way that it's cast but as a society and as you know uh, a community of artists we have a very long way to go in terms of unpacking language and unpacking the things that have made it so hard for us to see one another Mm -hmm. and to actually create a community of equality. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm probably an angry person because I don't know that there's been a day in drag and I've been doing drag for a very long time. I don't know that there's been a day in drag where I don't encounter someone canceling me, Mm -hmm. my art, my ability to exist Jeez. so like you know and it doesn't mean that i listen to that all the time but it does mean that all the time i'm told that i'm not allowed to be and have for a very long time and you know san francisco is not necessarily a place that has as much closed off you know some of the best times of my life are at a show that was every week where the whole cast only got paid five dollars and we performed every week and it was absolutely a place where you could just go fail beautifully and learn so much about your craft and who you were and where everyone could just, you know, be them, you know, and yeah. um, that was... That was one of the best places. But, you know, as drag has become more commercial and has become, you know, seen as a possible viable source of income, even more capitalist rules have entered scenes that, you know, maybe at one time had a little bit more. But, you know, even though I'm doing this little show where we're allowed to fail really big, you know, breaking into the larger scene and being accepted by, you know, the people, shall we say, above, because that exists too. Um, very much so in the drag scene. There's absolutely a tier of people. Um, you know, um it takes hard work. It takes a lot of work. Um, I, I have always felt that I had to bring, you know, bigger and bigger and more and more in order just to be recognized as someone who does drag. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. Yeah. No. Uh, and
2: that's just, that's what it is. So to me, it's like, you know, you can... Uh, You know, um, uh, I I was in the same city, uh, for example, as Creme Fatale. Creme Fatale absolutely says, I'm a drag queen. Don't call me a bio queen. Mm -hmm. I am a drag queen. That's all we have to do. We don't need the reference. Mm -hmm. Our need to understand the the genitalia of people in drag is such a really good way to look at our need for that in the in the world it's also a good way to look at why there's so much transphobia in the drag scene Mm -hmm. and why someone like rupaul doesn't allow trans people on the show
0: it's so funny someone asked in the chat room people are asking questions of you they want to know they asked rupaul charles a positive or negative impact on drag queer culture in the 21st century
2: um, I mean, when you saw But I'm a Mature Leader, was that a negative or a positive? <laughs> positive for me. Yeah. I, I um, love them. Uh, me too. Uh, let's say the Brady Bunch movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also a positive influence seeing RuPaul Charles on screen in that way. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think you can say anything is all good or all bad. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But I, I do. I do see, you know, a lot of problematic stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I stopped watching RuPaul's Drag Race quite a quite a, quite a long time ago. Um, mm-hmm. I, I kind of feel like I get the whole gist of the season mm-hmm. just through my social media and people like <laughs> posting memes or clips or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, or my friends, you know, who make me watch a runway because they think I'll think it's really spectacular. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, but uh, I... I think drag is for everyone, mm-hmm. first and foremost. I think drag in its root and its essence as a way to create pop culture and stories for the whole LGBT community. We're not represented in the media, right? In mainstream media mm-hmm. until RuPaul's drag race. And so drag was an amazing medium to create that representation and to see you know, some of that being filtered through pop culture and given back to our community so we can celebrate and see ourselves in it, right? And as time yeah. has changed and as we've grown and expanded our community and as, you know, um, you know, uh, we've moved on, I want to see the whole community represented in that. And the problem with Drag Race for me is that it reflects itself. Mm -hmm. So instead of reflecting the community at large, it's drag reflecting drag. And it's like a snake eating its tail. And that's why there's a window of time that RuPaul has always talked about for for his success. right? And he's in it right now. In my personal opinion, this Mm -hmm. is... A statement I've made before, but, you know, the reason we would expand to 10 other countries is because this country is ending
0: oh, on the show front.
2: Oh, okay. You know, like and, – and and RuPaul is, is a business person. Mm-hmm. You know, they're looking at the capitalist stream of this and going, hmm, I need to start cultivating these other markets because the American market approaching season 12 is definitely starting to go – to, 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 to sputter you know
1: mm-hmm. yeah. Um,
2: and RuPaul is smart about business that way and so RuPaul's going to expand into other countries have new access and source to other you know um, uh, um, other talent pools and other scenes and be able to expand that and you know uh, expand that success and make it happen longer because it moves into international waters and that's what I you know that's what I think now is that you know the American version of the show is definitely coming to an end it, it, it Basically,
0: yeah. what you're saying is that uh, Drag Race is like Little Shop of Horrors, and RuPaul is Audrey too.
2: <laughs> well, you know, nobody's perfect, although yeah. I think there's a lot of, um, you know, moments where we try to make um, RuPaul a guru, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. as his book says. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, but, you know... Um, you know, there's a lot to be learned from someone who wants to control an industry in order to remain relevant.
0: Now, to go on a, te- to take a little bit of a left turn here, go that way, more technical thing here, and, and tell us if you're not allowed to say anything here, but like, so you did you get a list of the looks in advance that you were supposed to bring, or how does that work?
2: I don't even know what I'm allowed to say. yeah don't worry about it. Oh, me. really? No, no one listens to the show. <laughs> so, will you pay the bill?
0: Yeah, I'll pay the bill. <laughs> if The bu- the Boulets have enough, get in. they have enough to get in line to, to, to come after us.
2: no 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 they're not gonna start with this yeah yeah um, yeah Yeah, they're not gonna start with this um i mean i i think the way that was filmed was uh, you know clearly different this season than other seasons and i feel like that's been you know understood and talked about online this is not no longer a secret um Mm -hmm. uh because it's been talked about on like for example reddit yeah (laughs) But, um, you know, we um, I don't know if I'm allowed to say. <laughs> all
0: right. Well, that's, that's fine. That's fine. I think you just gave the answer. Now, let me ask you this. this now, this is something I, I'm very curious to see if you can give this answer. One of the things that we have jumped on that you could speak to possibly. One of the things that's driven us crazy is you guys. Can you talk about your living situation at all? Because <laughs> well, you, you were clearly rooming with Dahlia, that was a big thing. But, but, the, but the question we're getting at is on the. Next I had three episode, roommates. You had three, really? Roommates? Oh my god! Was one uh, of them the, like uh, over production? the course
2: of the show? Yeah, over be, the course of the show, only he, ever lived with one person. Okay, but, but my final roommate was the one where we were like really good puzzle, puzzle pieces living together. <laughs>
1: oh,
0: that's perfect.
1: Oh, that's nice. No, but, he, yeah. but
0: the, my question really is. And this would drive us crazy now if you can speak to us. But okay. when when you would do the next episode and everyone's sitting there talking about, oh my gosh, who went home? We're like, how do they not know who went home? They all live together. They like, for instance, after the Dungeons and Drag Queens episode, you guys had to drive back together. Like, like, how do you not? Know? <laughs> well, I guess at that point you wouldn't know. But how would you not know who's gone and who's not gone?
1: Because we wouldn't know at the end. <laughs> well, yeah, because we always said that like. Is there is there we a way at the at the
2: end of cutting filming? Yeah, there there was no who went home. Yeah, but when but the next really? day, but the next the day the cast the cast the cast was not told. Not even the person who was going to be eliminated was told.
0: So, but don't you have so, to show up to the to the globe at late the next day? And you're like, "Oh, well, look, this person's not here."
2: I mean, there i i don't know if i can really discuss this but there okay. were multiple ways that we were transported to the space and it oh, was multiple, okay. v- multiple vehicles okay so like you you might not necessarily have known but like i also don't think that these are details that i can particularly speak to we oh, don't want to destroy
1: yeah. the illusion
2: of <laughs> television <laughs> i i have a question a medium of reality
1: i have a question joe mm-hmm. yeah go ahead um okay so uh This is going to be a really dumb question, but I, I love tattoos, and so my question—I guess my question—is how is your uh your tattoo was? I'm a filthy bitch. How is that healing up? Is that is that? Oh, it healed up just fine,
2: faster than I thought, and I put on deodorant a lot earlier than I thought I would because I just couldn't, I couldn't deal.
1: Yeah, because you did say you go, oh, I can't wear deodorant. And I was like, oh, I don't know if – I didn't even think about that. Like I was like, oh, man.
2: I didn't think about it until after it was in my armpit. And I was like, oh, yeah, bad choice. But also like I was was literally like what is the one place that would bother me? Like you could tattoo my head. You could tattoo my my rib cage. You could, you know, tattoo just about any part of my body. You know, I thought about the following places. I thought about the back of my knee. That would be a painful place to get tattooed. That's a painful place to get yeah. pierced. Mm-hmm. I know it's a painful place to get pierced because I've been pierced there.
1: Mm-hmm. So, Jeez.
2: <laughs> um, you know, I thought about the armpit and I have a tattoo under my left arm that gets perilously close to my armpit. Mm-hmm. And it was brutal. And I was like, what if I got tattooed in my armpit? I shook the whole time my tattoo artist gave me that tattoo with laughter i could not handle it i am so ticklish i try as hard as i can to remember that tickling is literally just the most extreme sensation the human body can feel then if you let yourself feel it it could be something extremely pleasurable Mm -hmm. but nope i just immediately get upset i could have punched (laughs) i could have punched that tattoo artist in the face five times
1: you did look very angry at certain points where i was like oh i think she's going to i think she's gonna tackle that tattoo artist I,
2: maybe that was my makeup i was mostly like <laughs> don't touch my arm wait a second okay yeah touch my armpit with your other hand and then come in with the gun <laughs> <laughs> because like i was like it was it was a lot i'm so ticklish and if you're um someone who doesn't like to like when i was a kid my brother would tickle me until like I basically, I pissed myself. Mm-hmm. Like, and it was awful, horrible torture. And uh, I don't think that, um, you know, uh, uh, I don't have a good relationship with tickling, we'll say. And uh, uh, I was like, this is the best way I can to challenge myself. I have a yeah. very, like, pain is fleeting. It just happens in the moment. I experience pain all day long, so I just... You know, pain for me is always, you know, the only kind of pain that is hard for me is pain you can't make go away. Mm -hmm. Pain like tattoos and needles and staples, that's just a second. Yeah. You know? Um, It will go away. It's not not something that is enduring. And it's not to say that, like, things like chronic pain aren't horrifying because you Mm -hmm. can't get rid of it and you have no choice about it. But when you're making the choice to experience pain and you just – disconnect the facts that you know your your relationship and then you just say hey i'm gonna you know it's gonna be over in a second we're good
1: okay
0: so let's jump to some of the more iconic hollow eve moments there are no particular order and (laughs) the the first because i think i want to go from like i'm going to defend you to like okay i have serious questions the first one i want to talk about i remember this made me so angry was this blow up between i wouldn't say between you and somebody i would say like when priscilla had a meltdown Mm-hmm. and because she thought you were laughing at her. And first I want to hear your interpretation of what, what didn't we see? What did we see? I mean, like, give us that, and then i have some questions.
2: We were across the room from each other. Yeah. You know, it was clear that we were supposed to be quiet. The laughing was not at her, nor mm-hmm. was it intentional in any capacity. Yeah. And I think what was happening is, you know, she was having this moment. Now, if we were all included in that moment, I would be sitting there listening and absolutely... It, total silence, not painting a face with Sharpie pens, for mm-hmm. example, or sorry, I'm not allowed to say Sharpie with <laughs> permanent markers. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and um, uh, you know, I, I think it's hard when people bear their soul and tell their truth, you know, the hard part about that moment was that, you know, what she wanted from the whole room was for us to be totally silent but the way the production or the way that was set up was for the conversation to only be between her and Matt. And we were in the room for quite some time. And I was sitting there drawing on a piece of paper, you know, and drawing my face. And I was like, you know what? This isn't helping me. I've drawn on paper with permanent markers before, but I've never drawn on my face. So I went in and started drawing my eye. And then I turned around to Louisiana and uh, she was like, come here, I'm going to draw your eyebrow. And then she started drawing my eyebrow. And I turned around and looked in the mirror and, you know, I mean, it focuses on me, but I, one of the problems was that actually the whole room kind of laughed when they saw my eyebrow, Mm -hmm. you know, and that, that it was a natural thing. It was not meant in, in any kind of hurtful way, you know, but also, you know, simultaneously, we all knew something serious was happening at the other end of the room, Mm -hmm. you know? So it just, it happened. And, um, you know, I don't hold a single thing in this world against Priscilla. She had a right... To react that way, to feel hurt that people couldn't be silent, but simultaneously, it doesn't mean the things that have happened before or the things people have said are invalid, the things Eva revealed about herself, you know, any any kind of statement I was made making, fighting for diversity within the drag scene. None of that is invalid, but it's that moment where you have to hold someone's truth in their story and their hard, hard journey that they've made to get here. And you know, I honestly I just wish that we could have all heard the story and been a part of listening to her story and you know that wouldn't have happened. Yeah. So you know it's um I I I have no ill will. I went into that bathroom and Madeline, you know, was like, you know, basically uh <laughs> you know blasting me. And is yeah. my Madeline is my wife. I am her husband.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Okay. That is my wife. I I will stand by Madeline forever. The um You know, but, you know, they were kind of like throwing me under the bus in the bathroom. I was like, you know what? This is not the place for me. And I came back out. My frustration was never at any point with, you know, any really with the cast, the cast or what was happening. I, I'm, I'm actually a very compassionate person. And, you know, I think maybe some of the hardest parts of watching Dragula for me as, you know, you know, watching it for the first time, just like all of you, you know, is to feel, um, like, especially in the first two episodes, a total lack of compassion from me. Mm-hmm. And it felt like I wasn't even present.
1: Um, yeah. Well, I, I thought that moment was very like first of all i feel like you are like uh, uh, just a guru because if if i had gone into that bathroom and heard them i would have walked in and just been like okay so now we're now we're going to have a confrontation and you you just did the very adult thing of just being like this isn't my moment this isn't for me and you just walked out and i was like i i wish one day i will i will have that kind of composure because i, I thought don't that
2: always was- have that composure <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, I, I have a stretch of the have, imagination.
1: Yeah, Laura, we have some very but clear I, evidence she does not I care <laughs> yeah.
2: I care very I care very deeply for Priscilla. Mm-hmm. I care very deeply for her journey in life and think she is absolutely a spectacular human being and performer. And I want nothing but beautiful good things for her. Nothing mm-hmm. but that. You know? I feel that way. I feel very strongly. I actually think a lot of my reactions, you know, in moments that are even hard on the show generally come from me always defending artists <laughs> yeah you know That's and so true. there's the ultimate moment where you know i can't talk a lot about my reaction to you know the the episode where i go home but you know i'm defending my art because i had to defend my art
0: you know that reminds me of something and i, I don't even, i think i forgot to even mention this on the show but one of the things that really bothered me was Disasterina's interview with you or at least how it was played and especially how she seems to be making fun of you and the reason it bothered me is I know Disasterina uh, in her other version of herself considers herself an artist as in an artist and to for an artist to treat another artist like that I thought was kind of offensive um. When you um were talking- by
2: the way, I didn't feel a single moment of that during the interview. Okay. Uh-huh. I think I think Disasterina is one of the loveliest human beings I've ever met. Uh-huh. I will happily be interviewed by Disasterina, make art with Disasterina, and do anything to the end of time. Totally amazing human being. Okay. That was not my experience of the interview in one
1: moment. So that could have been more of an editing choice that where they tried to make it seem like it. Cause I do feel like sometimes the, the editing in the show and I know you can't speak to it, but I do feel like sometimes the editing in the show maybe, um, you know, made it more dramatic. Uh, One of the questions I, I also had was um, your relationship with Dahlia. I feel like at times, you know, it, it seemed like, you know, you did call her out, which I was thankful for about, you know talking about people behind their back um but then at other times i felt like maybe there was like a friendship there did you were you guys uh did was there a contentious relationship or was it was that
2: (laughs) you know when we first uh the 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 beginning of the journey between us was really lovely Mm -hmm. (laughs) like um we uh kind of set up a little shop and home together and actually you know it was it was very lovely and um you know there's a lot of really lovely moments and memories of uh I have with Dahlia Mm -hmm. you know whether whether you know whether or not you know whatever is going to appear on the show I will quite literally defend the whole cast
1: Mm -hmm.
2: okay and there are I like that I I don't I don't you know I think we all, I have plenty of growing to do. Every human being has plenty of growing to do. We're all at different ages. We're all raised in different places. We all come to the table Mm -hmm. with a really different sets of understanding of the world around us based on what we've seen, where we've been, you know, who's influenced us, you know. And the cool part about having an opportunity, you know, um, like Dracula, you know, um, is that, you know, all of us are going to get out of our, you know, hometown scenes a lot more. Mm -hmm. We're going to see more. We're all going to grow as human beings, as artists. You know, we're going to see more and more of the world. We're going to meet more and more artists. I want to see the art everywhere I go. I'm more interested in seeing the art than I am in performing. I just think it's magical to go into drag scenes and see the shift and the change happening in this world. And it's become a lot more clear now that I'm, I'm traveling around the country Mm -hmm. because I feel like when you're in your own scene and you're not really leaving it as much that you start to feel like this is all there is, you know, but there's so much more out there. And, um, I have this hope that someday the, The drag scene could be a lot more like the burlesque scene and mobilize its performers without needing them to be on reality TV in order Mm -hmm. to do that. And you're starting to feel that more and more, especially like on the East Coast where the cities are so close to each other that there's no reason they're not sharing stages, you know? Um, So, you know, that's kind of been, you know, a magical thing. So I would say there's a lot of really good moments with Talia. There's a lot of really hard moments with Talia, you know, but... That's true of anyone. No one has to be thrown away, you know, and everybody has something to learn. I have a fuck ton to learn. Oh, excuse my language. But I, you know, I, there's, there's no one in this world who has figured out everything. And anyone who thinks they have, um, uh, has more to learn than anyone else. (laughs) Yeah. You know, there's, there's, there's so many different things happening in this world. And the Mm -hmm. experience of living is so vast and so different. And also so similar, and being able to acknowledge both of those things is really, you know, really really important. You know, I I've received kind of a an absurd amount of hatred. Um, and maybe it's not absurd. Over people what are
1: free? Um, over since the beginning. Oh, really? Really? Um, <laughs> I would say I would. Say, here's the thing. I will say this. I I was one of those people in the beginning because just because I felt um you know I I guess I just was like I was questioning your your art which is you know something not necessarily you should be doing but once I saw what you actually are and like how how you put all of your energy into your art and just how much of a rock star you were I was like oh my god I can't believe I ever questioned her and so or sorry questioned you and um so I just I feel like I could see people being that, but then I think what, what shocks me, I guess about that statement is that after people see you, if they still are like, Oh, I don't, I don't like you because I feel like you are you are a force to be reckoned with. You're somebody I, who comes on and takes on the stage.
2: Yeah, but I'm also um, someone who triggered internalized misogyny in almost every single category of human being. I'm also well, okay. someone, <laughs> I'm, I'm also, <laughs> and I don't just mean um, anything. I'm also someone who makes really big, you know statements that are like really hard to listen to and they're not all 100% accurate or true and those statements then go off and like trickle through whatever filter they're going to trickle through you know and each person has their own layer of filters you know um uh it's i think it's really easy to you know um
1: I don't know. <laughs> I think I, <laughs> I think, think... It's, I think it's
2: kind of wild. I you know, um, it it it's of a level. You know, um, uh, I was, I I've now had a couple experiences in clubs that have made it so that I have to talk to every club I go to about security now. Um, oh geez. Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh no no no, it's totally okay. You know things things that people when you challenge someone's worldview or you. Um, You know, basically, um, uh, you know, um, also, there were a lot of people really disappointed in the last episode. Um, I would say that, you know, you can make a show really diverse. You can cast it really diverse. But I don't know that every show, just by casting diverse, that's the first step. The next step is changing the language, the judging criteria, and all of the things that surround that. You know, and that that takes time. It's not going to happen in one time. But there's definitely something about my very identity, you know. I mean, the circumstances of filming reality TV are very extreme. But, you know, um, uh, I was very, in some ways, maybe too comfortable with with my identity. And I realized there were some things I was resting on and not doing the hard work around, um, you know. And essentially, over the course of the show i i I felt that production needed me to be a woman mm-hmm. um you know, and then I was that that is that is how I was basically um you know um uh treated until I felt like I had to come you know with a flaming sword protecting women when that became a message that didn't even include myself and yeah. watching that episode. Was one of the hardest things, and I, I watched it, and I just sat there, and I like completely sobbed because I just listened to myself, and I was like, I don't even know who that is. Yeah. Um, Oh, that's so. I mean, it's it's, but it's it you know it's 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 me that that's where I was at that moment, and that moment comes from a culmination, of you know being in a space that is ready to diversify but isn't doesn't really know how to do it because no one's done this before. Yeah. You know? So like the, the to me it's just steps and steps and steps and steps. Nothing's going to be perfect out of the gate. We're all going to be growing, changing and learning. You know, we're all going to be working on it. You know, as the show continues hopefully to diversify and you know in- include a lot more kinds of performers, you know. You know, other parts of it you know, we'll have to grow with it, you know, and I think, you know, first out of the gate, there's going to be some hits that are really hard. But I will tell you that filming reality telev- television challenges your mental stability on every level. So um, if you are not a mentally stable person any, like, and you are very, very, like, I, I don't recommend it. Get yourself stable, a lot more stable mentally. It is the most um, uh, uh, challenging, uh, grueling thing I've ever done. Um it's the most intense thing I've ever done and that's a lot because I'm an intense person. Well, um yeah. the hours, mm-hmm. um the sleeplessness, the um inability to care for your body, those kind of things. That's that's um it pushes you to the absolute end. And uh you know, um I would definitely say you have to you have to be and, and even if you've h- had a lot of therapy like I have, <laughs> um mm-hmm. you know, it's going into it it's going to challenge things you've never had challenged before you know and it's gonna um you know um put you in a position of needing to start reflecting about new things that maybe you know you were you were sleeping on before that you didn't know you had you had you you even had to work on but you know coming into the space of understanding my own gender identity came from a place of you know um growing up being treated and raised as, um, as female and, you know, fighting for that for a really long time and identifying as that for a really long time. And like a lot of the triggering things that I felt while I was on the show was about excluding, you know, um, uh, uh, my perspective and my experience. And that came from a place of me being, you know, female uh assigned female at birth and like then it just triggered in me this whole other you know part of my life where I lived fighting like really passionately you know um uh for uh um you know women's rights and so it was really easy to go back into that in a moment where I'm literally being that but in doing so I even excluded myself from that conversation and I i I it was it was a horrifying feeling and uh you know but it also is a reminder you know people around me know who I am uh I do a lot of um, a lot of work on myself. I do a lot of accountability. I do a lot of listening. I do a lot of community service. I do a lot of action. And i that's who I am. And nothing can challenge that because it doesn't matter what people think of me. That's their thing to think based on, you know, seeing me on a reality TV. But seeing me on a reality TV does not mean that you know me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, I have to say something, Hollow. You said so much there that I want to address. One, in the early episode, I remember when you did the whole diatribe against the word fishy and i remember at the time thinking and maybe a lot of people's experience kind of what you were saying especially the first couple episodes i remember thinking what a big dummy with her dumb thing about fishy but i'm gonna tell you something it forced me to think about it and i haven't used the word since if that makes sense i could put that earworm in my brain and it forced me to look at it from another perspective and i stopped using it so i'll give you credit there um, even though I did think you were a big dummy on that speech. Next. <laughs> next is, I am so sorry with the security. If Lori and I ever go to see you, I will protect you from Lori. Okay? <laughs> so you don't have to hire extra security from Lori. And also, when you said that doing reality TV was... You have not done a show weekly with Lori. It is... Everything you said reminded me of doing reality television except at one point you got to leave i don't ever have to get to leave this is my experience every time now you know i want i actually want to talk i want to hear you talk about a topic that is believe it or not you would think it's about the meltdown you had on monsters of rock but it's not because you said something there that really hit home with me and i want to go there is when you talked about the way you've been treated in cis white male gay bars Uh, and I wanted you to address that, expand on that, because I think I may have had a similar experience, uh, and even though I'm a Hispanic male, um, but I don't know if if you wanted to expand on that because you were, you were in the heat of the moment then, but if you wanted to talk about that.
2: Well, my conversation around that always goes back to what is, um, uh, and then I made fun of for being an anti-capitalist on the show regularly, but you know, what is the LGBT capitalist structure? And what it is, is selling, like, for the most part, what we're selling to the entire community is mask for mask, white, cis, gay men as sexual objects. That's what we sell in order to get people into clubs. Um, You know, and that's changing and that's expanding. But because most of the spaces, you know, especially in bigger cities where, you know, people were able to branch out and, like, create spaces that were just for one kind of person versus for all areas where they have one bar and everybody has to go to that one bar,
0: mm-hmm.
2: you know, we actually divided our community in these bigger cities in a way where – we didn't have to engage with the variety um, that exists in the LGBT community because we could just seek out spaces, you know, that um, uh, only catered to to uh, who and what we were and what we wanted, right? Um, but as we found with capitalism, capitalism itself. Um, benefits a very small percentage of people and that did not skip a beat in the LGBT community and as we've seen spaces close and close and close you know and spaces for queer women have closed you know because capitalism doesn't favor these spaces um you know and so what happens is you have this, this thing, you know, and you have in San Francisco, for example, the Castro, which often ends up being a space, you know, and some of the places are trying to shift and change that. I'm not trying to say that the work is not being done by some clubs to shift and change the culture from that of idolizing, you know, and selling this idea of, you know, perfect this to everybody. But like, most of the time when you go to enter a, a bar or a space with a rainbow flag if it doesn't have another flag or a black lives matter sign most people aren't safe in that bar you know you could as easily you know um encounter a problem in one of those bars if you are not a um, gay man right mm-hmm. so like I could i I know when I enter a bar that might actually you know and then you could say oh well hollow why don't you just not go into that bar but what is a rainbow flag and why are we sold it as something that's inclusive when bars that utilize it continue to exclude and you know we're in a time where we have members of our community that are more at risk than anyone else You know, and we haven't shifted our community to making space where we have more of the conversations and more of the spaces becoming inclusive safe spaces by doing hard work. You know, pride is not a time, you know, it's often a lot of gaslighting is used that pride to silence, you know, um, you know, trans people and trans people of color and, you know, uh, uh, queer women. You know, to silence them so that we can just continue and celebrate, you know, the advancements we make. But we have to, at that time, also talk about what we need to do. We need to give a space and platform to people who need to speak what's happening and speak their truth and what's not working, you know, and we can celebrate. And the crazy thing is that we can do both, you know, and you can feel this movement where so many cities want their pride to start doing both. But there's always this gaslighting that comes from the commercial advertising capitalist structure that wants to sell stuff and emotionally processing and creating safe spaces for queer people sells nothing. So it has left the conversation, you know, um, in terms of like the people who are trying to profit off of the LGBT community. And so, you know, when white cis gay male is said, I don't think it's ever to point a finger at one person individually. It is Mm -hmm. a power structure Mm -hmm. that benefits the most from the capitalist structure that mimics the structure of the heteronormative world. And it, it literally, the capitalist structure of the LGBT community benefits a certain kind of person more than anyone else. And that is because all of the structure is around selling things to them. And, you know, um, that erasure, um, is really hard and it's very felt, you know, um, I, and I, there's not a moment and I'm sure that many people who are not, um, you know, um, who are not uh, um, cis gay men doing drag can say that it is hard. It is harder. It is harder to get bookings. It is harder to, um, you know, quote unquote, prove yourself as, you know, a valuable community member in this scene because so much of that revolves around what you're selling. And like so many of the clubs that are doing drag are predominantly using a structure to sell to, you know, to sell this idea to, you know, predominantly gay men, you know, um, it's so exciting to see spaces that are more, you know, more queer inclusive having drag shows. You know, I, I, I don't, um, um, and I don't just mean like singular party nights. I mean whole spaces creating whole inclusive nights. Like there's no need to have anything but inclusive nights. Um, you know, I, I, the stud in San Francisco is, um, a queer bar that's I think 53 or 54 years old at this point Mm -hmm. that is owned by a queer collective of artists, 18 of them. And they run the bar to create a space for all of the people in the community, you know, and it's a space for everyone. And it's, they, they, they do that by having the ownership represented, representing the, the colorful rainbow that is the LGBT community. And then you have a newer bar that was recently opened called Jolene's and they too are creating more and more spaces and more and more opportunities for artists, you know, to perform, you know, but then you also have really cool people, you know, who are producing singular events and using nature to throw drag events. Um, there's a great performer in San Francisco named Syzygy who does a drag show at um, the full moon on the beach every month. Oh my um, gosh,
0: that sounds amazing.
2: Y- y- totally. So it's like, how do we create more of these queer intentional spaces? How do we find more spaces that are, you know, even outside of the bar structure so that sober people have a space to go and feel less threatened and feel like they have a community to connect with. And you see Florida man creating a board game drag night where you can go to a cafe or a bookstore and watch drag and play board games. You know, the structure by which we create safe spaces for our community, you know what, what we do that is so magical that everybody wants to see because it's what we feel all the time is we create queer families. We are adept at understanding what it means to hold one another when our biological family stops. So, you know, we understand what it is to build families and communities. And I, you know, that to me is the magic. And so more and more spaces moving towards that. But there is this unrelenting sense. The, the capitalism part of it is not one person's fault. Even if you are a white cis gay man, it is not your fault. You know, you know, it's just understanding that that's what's happening, so that only a group of pers- people, a singular group of people, are predominantly benefiting from this structure. But it's not your individual fault. It is a power structure. And so it's just like I have to acknowledge I'm white. You know, sometimes you have to stop and listen because you, nothing you say, none of your experiences, none of your oppressions can erase someone else's experience. You know, so sometimes people, you just need to stop and listen and let go of any red herrings or using any structure of competitive energy to compare yourself, you know, to someone else and just listen and listen to what they have to say because what they're saying doesn't cancel your experience. It just simply they both exist. And then once we start collecting all of the stories and allowing a space for everybody to speak, and that includes white cis gay men, by the way, 100%, we all have something to speak to about how, you know, we faced hardship. And we all have something to listen to about how we've had privilege, you know, and it's Having privilege doesn't mean you haven't had oppression. Having, you know, um, oppression doesn't mean someone else hasn't experienced oppression from you. Mm-hmm. It's about listening and allowing people to speak their truth without trying to cancel their truth with yours.
0: Wow. Hollow, just taking my breath away. Now, you know, Hollow, um, uh, Laura, do you have any more questions for Hollow?
1: Uh, I have. <laughs> I have one random one. So, um, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> no, I, I want to come back I, to what I, Hollow
0: said, but I'll let Lori. I'm Hollow. I, I, I apologize really for Lori. Ab- I'm sorry. Go what? ahead. Lori. Go ahead, Lori. Ask your question. I had more questions before she said, but go ahead. Sorry.
1: No, no, no. What What? you go for, you, I was, I talked about no, ask so your random, me.
0: ask your random question. Embarrass me in front of well, Mahal.
1: I, I really enjoyed what you just said, and I, and I, I think that that's a very, uh, great way to say that. I, my, Dumb question it has nothing to do with the, <laughs> what you just yeah. said. Um, the, uh, okay, this is going to be so dumb. Yeah. The neck warmers that you wore in your, <laughs> in, your, in your thing. At first I thought I was like, what does she do? What is, and then now I'm like, I think I need that. Where do you get those neck warmers? I make them. <laughs> you
2: make them. So this is really specific. So I've done a lot. So um, I'm trying really hard to get my website to go live so that I can sell merch. Um, yeah. Um, and I will be making hollow collars for the public. Um, the cool part Ooh. about the hollow collars that I'm going to be making is that 100% of the proceeds after cost will go directly into trans GoFundMe um, surgery um, GoFundMes. Mm-hmm. So, oh, wow. Like, we'll just drop it in there, you know, and just keep dropping the money in there. Um, and then I'm also going to be selling, I've saved every needle I've ever put in my body on stage to the best of my ability. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, those are being cast in resin right now.
1: Um, ah. and
2: so I will be selling needles that are cast in resin that are, will be keychains and necklaces and whatnot. Um, you know, and also 50% of the pro or not 50, but hundred percent of the proceeds from the needles will also go into trans GoFundMes. Um, and also, um, uh, and then with, uh, the t-shirts that are going to be released, 50% of the proceeds from the t-shirts are going to go to, um, uh, you know, uh, queer POC artists um, and, um, just queer artists that I look at and go, Oh my God, they just need money to make art.
1: You know, that is amazing. Um,
2: I don't like capitalism. I understand that I live in a capitalist society and I have to partake in it. I know I have to get merch out. I drag my feet on this stuff because it kind of drives me nuts. But simultaneously I'm always looking to, you know, do things, you know, in a way where I can, um, you know, use that to benefit others. And I find that nonprofits often take too much money to operate their, Um, nonprofit. So it's just easier if you directly impact the community by dropping it into GoFundMe's because 100% of that money will go to the cause. You know,
0: Hollow, I got to say something. You've had such an impact. The chat room is going crazy. I want to particularly point out what Danny Dawkins just wrote. She wrote, uh, this conversation has done many wonders for me as it's offered pain. As great as this community is, being a POC trans non-binary in it feels exceedingly isolating. Thank you for advocating for us every day, is what she wrote to you.
2: Oh thank you thank you it's um i i um have going to say something that's so hopeful yes. um uh traveling across the country um, traveling out of the country and like my future endeavors, I'm really traveling out of the country um, next year. Um, I actually, it's gonna, you're going to be hard pressed to find me in the United States. It feels like I'm currently booked um, in Seoul in oh Paulo, wow and I'm in the middle of planning a UK tour. And then hopefully off of that, I'll piggyback onto possibly a European tour as well. Um, all over the world, all over our country, our small communities fighting for this inclusion and they are doing killer amazing things and there are little towns and big cities and scenes all over the country and remember when you feel alone they exist you are not alone if you feel alone in your own scene in your own city you might need to make a change I was feeling very alone in San Francisco, so I moved to Los Angeles. You know, but my 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 what I'm so grateful for with Dra- with Dragula is my ability to travel and to see the art and what's happening in other scenes. And so I have a friend who is a web developer and an app developer, and we're working together now to create a website, which loosely right now is going to be called the Quilt. And oh, in my nice. travels, I'm going to be. Interviewing and um, basically writing stories and documenting scenes and the cool things that they're doing to advance inclusivity in the queer community, to create actual queer inclusive spaces, because there are really cool direct actions being taken. Um, I was in Rhode Island in Providence for such a short time, but there's this amazing um, non binary drag performer named Pulp who also won Miss Gay Rhode Island. And who is using their platform to, um, you know, make sure that pride on the main stage is mainly representing or only representing trans POC people. And so using their platform to make sure that, you know, those are the people that are getting paid and those are the people whose story is being told on the main stage of Providence Pride. That's a moment. Do you know what I mean? Listen no, to is. that. I was blown away. I got shivers all over my body. And it started in me this idea like this community where you you see very few of yourself maybe in the capitalist structure because that's a bigger thing that's being umbrellaed over us, right? Is happening all over the country and the world. Little places, little bars, little dives, little community meeting halls. People are coming together and action is being taken, but it's really hard to see it because most of the larger landscape is through the lens of a capitalist structure that doesn't acknowledge the whole community. So that's why I wanted to create something called The Quilt, which hopefully eventually other people would volunteer their time to basically, you know, um, interview and talk about the different scenes and we could start cataloging the cool scenes and all of that kind of stuff and the parties that are really pushing it so that we can look at a map and see, oh, this is how you sew our whole community together. This community of inclusion is bigger than we think because we're not seeing it happening all over, you know, and you can go to a little town and sometimes we, you know, discount rural um, uh, LGBT experiences when they're like really on the front lines of facing, um, you know, so much discrimination where they are. Um and doing so many cool, amazing things. But also, their communities often, you know, only have one bar within a very large radius. And yeah. so people have to travel a great distance, which means that when they're at their one bar, every kind of member of the community within that span meets in one space, which means that in many ways, their communities become naturally more inclusive because their meeting space doesn't have... And I'm going to say it is a privilege to be able to create a space that's just for one kind of person.
0: Wow, yeah. wow. Well, here's what we're going to do. Why don't we end that on that note for this show? Uh, Hollow, but Hollow, can you stick around? People had some questions for you in the chat room, and sure. we can ask you a few of those questions. But uh, Hollow, is there anything you want to plug or like? Uh, you're, you can follow Hollow on Instagram at at Hollow Eve H O L L O W E V E. But is there anything else you want to plug that I don't know about?
2: Um, I mean, I'm on Twitter, too, but I'm not good at it, and I just joined it, and I don't – it's The Hollow Eve on Twitter.
0: Uh
2: Um, But outside of that –
0: Like, where are you going to be this week? Uh, what, What shows are you doing this week?
2: Um, I'm going to be in Calgary in Canada Okay. with, wow. um, with Violencia exclamation point on the 26th. Okay. And then unfortunately I had gigs canceled. Oh wait, but tonight. Oh, this is cool in LA. Uh-huh. Um, I go to this show, really great show called exposure on the offbeat.
0: Okay. okay. It's at the
2: offbeat bar on York. Um, really like it's, it reminds me of the space I was in, in San Francisco for five or six years. Mm-hmm. Um, the party meomics at the stud that I went every week and performed, mm-hmm. you know, um, it reminds me of that in the sense that it feels like a space where people can really, you know, m- make big, bold choices and be held by their community. Mm-hmm. It's a very loving space. And I've never performed there. Uh, but I've gone and just been in love with the whole cast and just enjoyed my experience every time. So um, I am performing there for the first time because I'm trying to also, like, you know, get in with a local scene here. And, like, yeah. you know, I don't want to be like, oh, I was on Dragula. You know, I want to be, like, just chilling with the people and what time That's is awesome. that at
0: what time is that at hollow
2: um i think the show starts at i want to say 10 30 ish but there's two shows and there's often like 18 performers so okay. it goes all night all right, so from that, that hour, but it's also just a really good time. There's real cheap tacos outside. Oh, so if you need dinner to, or you to grab something, I know that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. So it's called, um, yeah, it's called exposure drag and, um, they do a huge amount to like really diversify and pri- uh, provide a stage for a really diverse amount of performers, you know, and a lot of young performers get their start there. It's really, really awesome. So that's awesome.
1: Um, All right. well, So I'll
2: be there yeah. tonight. And then on uh, the twenty sixth, I'll be in Calgary, and then I'm in San Francisco for Halloween proper. Right.
0: Oh, perfect! Now everyone should know today is Monday, October twenty first, when we're taping this. So that's what Halloween uh, and
1: Valencia! Yeah, exclamation point! Is going to be taking a plane to get to Calgary. <laughs> isn't... Yes, 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 she will. Okay,
2: but you know, you know, she'll probably have some some aids.
1: Yeah,
0: <laughs> some
2: sleeping aids. Yeah. shall we say. <laughs> But uh, uh, access the things that will calm her down.
0: Yeah, okay. Um,
2: <laughs> she is one of my favorite performers of all time. She runs Boston. She is absolutely everything. If you have not seen Violencia Exclamation perform, you need to. You need yeah. to hear her voice. I would. I could have her voice serenade me to sleep every night. She reminds me of Divine in the way that she sings. She that does, yeah. Blumble. And I just, you know, I live for every minute of Divine, like one of the most impactful things in my life. So, um, oh, yeah. Go see Violencia! She is a, just a fucking amazing human being.
0: All right, very good. Well, why don't we edit there again? Stick around, Hollow. We'll have some questions from the chat room. But otherwise, everybody else, Laurie, um, I don't know. Goodbye. <laughs> don't, what do you Shut up! Oh, that's right. <laughs> Laurie Camp hosts her own podcast, and they're all a part of the Bloody Podcast Network. You can follow Laurie Camp on Instagram at PickleMyth. Joe Batans is one of the hosts of RuPaul's Drag Race Recap. You can find that show on iTunes, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow Joe Batans on Instagram and Twitter at Joe Batanz. That's J-O-E-B-E-T-A-N-C-E. Hello Uglies is an Afterthought Media podcast.